Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I left academia about one year ago to become a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts and an editorial manager for a science website. I'm Ian, and I've recently left academia to move into a science communication, editing, and publishing career. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about two years ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Recovering Academy podcast. I'm here with Ian and Amanda, as always, and today we have a special guest. We have Chris Humphrey with us. Um, Chris, he earned his PhD in medieval studies from the University of York, and he left academia back in 2000. And after doing some work in business management and consulting, he's currently working as a project manager in a financial services. In back in 2012, he founded the Jobs on Toast. That's a blog dedicated to helping researchers find a fulfilling career outside of academia. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris Humphrey. Welcome to our podcast, Chris. Well, thanks, guys. I'm just absolutely delighted to be here. As you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I'm a big fan <laughs> yeah. of your blog, so it all works out. <laughs> yes. Cool. So it's reciprocal. Yeah, mm-hmm. big fans colliding, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> yeah, so Chris, uh, tell us a little bit more about your transition story. How did you get to Jobs on Toast? Well, yeah, <clears throat> going back to my transition story, um, I mean, I was a kind of, uh, maybe like you guys as well, like a kind of career academic in a sense that I uh, spent a long time in university doing my bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a PhD, and then also a postdoctoral fellowship. Um, and so I was kind of like on a career track like that. And I guess like many people, I just thought, yeah, academia is going to be where I'm going to end up. That's the kind of logical thing based on uh, everything else I'd done in my past. Um, but what turned out is that in, during the course of my postdoctoral fellowship, I was I had a number of interviews. I was actually interviewed for five different uh, lectureships at UK universities. Um, so everything seemed to be going well, but I was actually unsuccessful in all my interviews. Um, and in the sort of, well, when I got the fifth rejection uh, and only had about six months to go on my postdoc, I really had to think quite hard about, you know, do I carry on this track, drop off onto sort of part-time teaching or do I really do something else, you know, and, and look for something else uh, as a full-time job? Um, and that's that's when I put my kind of plan B into action, uh, and I decided to look for a job outside of academia, um, which is which is how I ended up transitioning out. And how did that go? I mean, like you know, it sounds like you learned how to find a job outside of academia kind of on the fly. Yeah. And just like, oh, I need to have a plan B. Or did you already sort of have that in the back of your mind and it was fairly easy to implement when you were starting yeah. to search for that first job? Yeah, I guess, like I say, with something like around about six months to go. So my funding yeah. was going to run out in the end of September. So mm-hmm. something around about the April time. I kind of thought, well, this is, and I had my, I just had my fifth rejection from, you know, and I kind of thought this, 
this process is working to the extent that I'm getting interviews, but I'm not getting through that next stage. And I'm, I'm getting knocked out by people who've mm-hmm. got five years more experience than me. They've got a book or whatever. Uh, and I felt that it was very difficult to compete against them. So that's really when I thought, okay, so um, my goal is to get a, a full-time permanent salary job. That's my goal. My, mm-hmm. And so whether that's in academia or not is the sort of secondary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I started to put together this plan B. And I guess, I've always been somebody who's um, looked, well, I was interested beyond academia and I used to read kind of like business magazines or I'd always be interested in stuff on the news or, and my, and my friends as well were kind of like a mixed group of friends, not just academic friends. So I guess for me, it was kind of more natural just to see the point is to get a job. The point mm-hmm. is not to uh, stay in academia at all costs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess sort of what I'm getting at is, also, maybe, I mean, so there's definitely like the wall of getting over the hump in academia to that faculty job. But then it, I mean, I found it almost equally as daunting a wall to break out of academia. And eventually I did, but, you know, it seems like it's hard to not get equally as frustrated <laughs> with that process. Yeah, and I was- uh, maybe. Even if it's less arcane and it's just like, oh, yeah, well, it's resume, apply for job. And then if you don't get that one, you keep applying for the other one. And, like, the process, there's not, like, second site interviews, but there's also still a lot involved in that process of getting a job outside academia. And I guess it seems like it could easily be, like, another barrier to entry for an academic being like, ah, nobody wants me. And my other question, like kind of building upon that was, so you got your PhD in medieval studies and Mm -hmm. that seems very unrelated to business, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there might be some more, I mean, I'm sure there's some um, more interconnectedness that I can think of off the top of my head, but how did you approach the fact that you had a PhD when you were applying for jobs and especially in something that was not business related? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I did quite carefully pick the sector that I was going to apply into. And um, I mean, I don't want it to make it sound like it was as if it was easy in a sense that I, I really focused on e-learning and web-based training. And mm-hmm. it, it sort of shows my age a little bit, but, but you know, back in the nineties, this thing called the internet was just really starting to happen and, and take off. And yeah. I was just so excited yeah. by the possibilities of that, especially as somebody who works in education, you know, Hey, wow, you don't have to, you know, spend thousands of pounds or dollars, you know, going to a university to learn stuff. Actually, the the Internet makes all this information, couldn't make all this information freely available. So I was kind of really excited about the about the possibilities. And I guess what I was trading on really is um, I was just trading on my transferable skills. So, so I wasn't saying, you know, I'm going to bring my subject matter knowledge from university and now it's going into into business because no one's, uh, you know, selling courses on medieval history or something on online but it's it's a transferable skill set it's being a you know being a researcher being an educator being a good communicator being a project manager and i'm really uh you know foregrounding those transferable skills to an employer um especially in the sort of tech startup space because if you can imagine the guys who were building this type of stuff were um quite techie you know software companies they know all about the software side but they don't really know about how do you how do you make something interactive, engaging? How do you deliver learning content? So, they had a they had a need, and I had a I had a need as well to get a job. And so, <laughs> I, I guess part, partly I think it, I, it was a bit of luck, but it was it was I probably only got one or two rejections, and then I got interviewed, um, and then just got offered a job 
um, you know, with a startup e-learning company. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I think that in the end is <clears throat> you have to sell uh, you your skills as a PhD person, not exactly uh, as an a PhD in that specific mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. subject, and and uh, and that's kind of I think that the, one of the main differences between when you do, and it's hard because when you work for an academic job, normally people are looking for a PhD in that specific. So like like I have a PhD in in neuroscience, so then okay they are they need a professor or researcher with a PhD in neuroscience, and when you go outside of academia. Uh, normally the jobs that you apply, they don't uh, really, there are some, yes, but uh, most of them, you, you, if you want to use your PhD as, uh, as skills, then you have to just go with the general ones, right? Yeah, I think it comes down to that thing of, does a PhD qualify you for something? And it, it doesn't, it doesn't really qualify you in the same way as like, um, Oh, okay. So I've got an accountancy qualification. So now I'm I'm a qualified accountant. And then, if someone's trying to hire an accountant, they can they can see that. Uh, and a PhD maybe qualifies you for a you know specific job within academia, but it doesn't necessarily qualify you uh, for, for anything else. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's really where it comes back to selling yourself. Like I always talk about selling yourself as as a professional X, where you you fill in the blank yourself. And I my to, for my transition, I sold myself as a as a professional educator. To be honest somebody with a very strong education background uh, um, and then I was going into a, f- a field which was ad- adjacent to academia but something different um, but still using that academic um, academic and educative kind of ability um, and it's not to say I knew everything about it but I knew a lot more than the software programmers or the guys who were kind of making the, making the software. Yeah, 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 I... Yeah, because like I mean, I still like I mean, I'm less than a year out of academia still, and I, I guess I'm still PhD in science adjacent, but like I still feel somewhat I guess fractured in like because my approach to transition was you know like starting years ago, just trying to plant seeds and see what would grow and go with what I was interested in, and like my day job is not necessarily didn't grow out of that, but like it did grow out of my writing and like starting a blog on the side and like doing a bunch of editing on the side. And um, so in that sense, it directly led to my job, but I still feel like I still have now all of these side projects that I still want to maintain and do. And it still feels like my identity is a little bit fractured after leaving academia. And I'm wondering like being further out, if, you know, if that has subsided, like it's like, Oh, you know, I guess there's a sense of, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a professional in the private sector now. I don't think about academia at all anymore, except when I'm advising PhDs um, about how to transition out of academia, which is now doesn't employ as many PhDs as it once did. Yeah, I mean, I could, I would sort of maybe challenge it and flip it, flip it yeah. the other way around, and say that um, we're all professional knowledge workers. Yeah, uh, and the fact is, fact is, we happen to work in academia for seven years or however many years, um, you know, and then if it didn't uh, lead to a long-term career, then we switched out our capabilities to work in another sector. So it depends how much you see your identity first and foremost as a as an academic or actually, to me, academia is, is an application is an application of your skill set. It's yeah. not, you don't necessarily have to think of it as like the foundation of your skill set or where everything grew from. I mean, it's great because it mm-hmm. developed us and we learned a lot. But we still, academia is an application of who you are. 
same as mm-hmm. um, working in the private sector is an, a- an application of your skill set. And I think that's something that was very obvious to me, I guess, in my transition. So I didn't mm-hmm. feel like, like I say, it's not like I didn't break up with academia in that way. I, I just, uh, it seemed to me before I quite got it that this was, this was the logical thing to do because of the past. But actually, once the more I thought about it, I thought, well, it's, it isn't logical at all if it doesn't lead to permanent work that can support me and my family. Yeah. Um, and, and so actually what it comes down to is, um, you know, how can I apply my, my skills, my experience, my capabilities, you know, to make so a living? Trans- and that's the thing that's first and foremost. Yeah. So I think your transition a- apparently was uh, not, it was not that painful. Like, I mean, that uh, feeling of failure or I should be in academia and it, it was more like a smooth thing that uh, along the years, along the rejections, along... You just realized that that was not that there was no place for you in academia, or that you don't didn't want to be in academia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting because I guess I did always, especially towards the end of my postdoc, I kind of had a nagging feeling that things weren't okay, um, and I wasn't as happy as I could be, and I associated that I, I assumed that that was because I didn't have a permanent job, and it was to do with the, the temporary nature and the. The fact, you know, where where are we going to have to move to if I get a job, you know, Manchester, Mm. Bristol, Southampton, that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) But I think when I once I got out, I realized that that sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't think it was so much about the um, the not knowing as just a kind of um, like it was time for a change. Mm -hmm. And and so some of that was just kind of like um, whether you come across this expression, you're you're sort of like rust out. You're just kind of. Like you're just you're just sort of rusted in into place. There's there's not there's not enough sufficient new stimulation yes. to really kind of get get yeah. you going. Mm-hmm. And once yeah. when, once I got into this um once I got into this startup company, you know, it was great. Uh, oh, on a Friday lunchtime, there's pizza, beer, and uh, you know, have have a ch- have a chat with all, with all the guys. And it was just it was just so different from the the objective in academia is so often to get into your office, close the door get your head down you know which is which is actually is is very isolating and not not necessarily the best thing for your own sort of personal personal well-being mm-hmm. um but i i just really enjoyed this the social aspect of it to be working in an office mm-hmm. with a, a mixed bunch of people project managers graphic designers software programmers uh, sort of marketing people and i just really like it it just really sort of switched me on to a to, to a whole new world of uh, of, of possibilities really so how is your a normal day of work now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a normal day of work. Well, as I said, I um you know, work as a, as a project manager uh, in a bank in, in financial services. So, well, in some ways, it's, it's not a whole bunch different from being a researcher. If I if I think about it, I mean, well, let's let's think of some of the things I do. I I manage projects, so I've got three or four different projects on the go at, at different mm-hmm. stages of of delivery, right from startup through to completion. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm doing that. Uh, there's a usual administration that goes along uh, with any job. Um, there's especially for new projects, we're trying to find out how we're going to um, resource and fund that project. So you could be writing business cases, mm-hmm. not dissimilar to, you know, writing Rents. grant applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then I also um, run an in-house project management training oh. course for the for people who work in the bank who want to do. I get some familiarity with project management. So I actually uh, run yeah, training courses. Yes, just, just <laughs> teaching, um, marking, 
market we have a workbook that people uh, complete to sort of show their proficiency that they've applied the knowledge they learned on the training they've put it into action so i do some marking give out give out a certificate so yeah in a lot of ways there are there are a lot of parallels i think with uh you know with an academic job like i say i'm, I'm a knowledge worker who's applying my skills and expertise to this specific type of job within financial services as, a, as an industry mm-hmm. and i mean you do you work from home or do you actually you go to an office in a building like in an actual bank now yeah that's it so every day i, I, I commute into work and uh, go into the bank yeah i mean i can work from home but uh there's pros and cons if you want to get your head down and get something done that that's good but i really like i really enjoy this you know the thing of being in an open plan office uh mm-hmm. with, with colleagues and uh well, especially if you're a project manager, a lot of times you're always checking in with people. How's it going yeah. with this piece of work? Um, is there any problems that you've got? Um, uh, so that type of thing really is often best face to face. You know, if you can just, yeah. mm-hmm. like I say, it's you know the best the best project managers. It's just it's just like one big long conversation. If if you can really pull it off, it's not um, you know, have you done this? Have you done that? Where's this? Where's that? You know, it's it's to me it's more about the soft skills and the interpersonal relations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is best done face to face, you know, and it's, and it's how, you, how you get it's to be honest, it's how you get more compelling commitment from people. Uh, mm-hmm. If you agree something face to face and uh, then if you pop by someone's desk or see them at the coffee machine and say, uh, how's it going? Is, is everything OK with that report for tomorrow? You know, then it's <laughs> right. Yeah, it's I, more organic yeah. as opposed to you seeking them out. Right. I, yeah. Cause like I work at a startup too and like uh, almost everything we do is remote and virtual and electronic. So I, I mean, yeah. So we have to build relationships with people, but like remotely and we do talk on the phone a fair bit, but like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's definitely can be better in person. Like I would much rather, yeah, have that capability potentially for at least some situations like, my, the CEO of the company says, like, yeah, like 60% of this job can be done from anywhere in the world by the internet. But it's that other 40% that I think, like, the FaceTime really, really matters. And there's, like, so some things, like, I'm not on site to see things. So, like, I have to really rely on other people who are there to give me reliable information. And I'm like, yeah, I'm dealing with a situation. Like, I'm a virtual lab manager. So, like, we just, we get things that scientists need to do their work, especially at small startups. And, like, right one of our labs is moving and so like it involves lots of equipment and loading docks and freight elevators and does stuff fit um <laughs> it's like couldn't tell you <laughs> i mean i i only know what people are telling me um yeah and chris you also run so okay. toast so how did you get yeah. started with that and and why mm-hmm. yeah um well it's, it's interesting because after I, I left academia i probably um I left, I left in 2000 and it wasn't till 2009 that my old um, dissertation supervisor approached me mm-hmm. um, just by email and said, would I be coming, interested in coming into my old department, uh, Center for Medieval Studies, and just giving a talk to the PhDs there about, as he said, like how to market yourself for a career outside of academia, because we, we were still in touch and uh, he thought there could be some value to that. So um, I said, thought, okay, I'll put together a few slides. Um, so, so I went there and gave a sort of 40 minute presentation or so to the people in the room and um you know it was just without blowing my own trumpet sort of thing but it it really felt like it made a difference to these people Mm -hmm. that no one had ever sort of (laughs) said some of this stuff to them before Mm -hmm. um 
you know, some people were thinking, oh, I've done my, I've done my PhD, but um, one guy said, I've done my PhD, but now I'm going to go back and do a, do a bachelor's in computer science so I can go and get a job in that, you know, and it was just quite astounded me of, of people not having this sort of knowledge or, or capability. So after, after I did that, I kind of really thought, wow, there's a possibility to share this information. Um, and so in, at that time, like, I guess things like blogging was really starting to take off as a thing. And I thought, okay, well, what about if I set up a blog? Um, so it took me from 2009 to 2012, <laughs> June 2012, to actually work out how to, how to blog, you know, how, what do you need to do? You know, and it's, it sounds a long time, but you know, I got a, I got a family and obviously a full-time job and it just took me this amount of time to get going, write some articles, uh, and then get, get the blog going, think of a name, get the domain and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I, I started to put the put the blog out there, and uh, at first it was very quiet, and it was uh, some days you get no no hits when you look on your stats, and you yeah. just <laughs> is this is this worth it? You know what what am I doing? And then you know it just um, it just felt like you know then I started to get on you know involved in things like Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and really actually started to build, um, and people started to approach me to give talks, and so from then it just kind of grew organically, really. Um, and so I just probably publish every an article every two months now mm-hmm. um but it's also the platform where people can get in contact with me if they want me to be, you know invite me to give talks uh on campus or i also do some do do some one-to-one coaching mm-hmm. yeah that's very awesome i feel like uh this um outside of academia it's still uh there's a lot of phds that are there and they are not going to go for the academic uh, route and and that's one of the reasons why we started the podcast mm-hmm. as well because we felt like if you go and google you see a lot of um technical things how to change like how to transform your cv into a resume or all those things but uh there are not a lot of things like to support or just to 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 give uh give them some feeling that they're not alone yes and Mm -hmm. and i think that that uh the jobs of toast is a great thing because you give advice but also it's you give hope yes Mm -hmm. That's I think that that's kind of kind of the main thing that a lot of uh, it's frustrating most of of the time is it's academic job market can be frustrating mm-hmm. and then people are kind of like okay mm-hmm. I spent so much time working on this PhD and now what <laughs> right yeah mm-hmm. and yeah and yeah like something else I'm slightly curious about with you being in the UK. Um, like, you know, cause ne- networking is obviously a part of finding any new opportunity or a job or just meeting anyone really. And I'm wondering, like, is there the same sense of like geographic limitation that exists in the United States where like, oh yeah, well I live in Boston and applying for jobs in San Francisco is really hard because I don't know anyone there and it's all the way across the country and that's a four hour, you know, plane flight that I can't afford to take every week or whatever to go out and meet people there in the UK, which is a smaller Island. I know it's like, you know, seven or eight hours the long way, but I'm wondering if like, I wonder if, you, if there's the same issues of networking and like, if it's easier to connect with people in London versus Glasgow, say like, you know, just because it's an Island um, in a smaller geographic area, like is networking 
less of a barrier there. Is that your sense at all? Like for PhDs, especially like, you know, in that context of like, well, I just don't know how to meet people. And like, it seems like you would meet more people potentially if you can like just hop the train to, you know, new city XYZ to explore something new. Yeah, Uh, it's an interesting question because I think I didn't, I guess when I think about my the kind of times when I've changed jobs, I never really mm-hmm. use networking to help me get the job. So I, I wouldn't, I can't really speak from a okay. position of experience on it. I mean, yeah, because all my, I slightly go against my own advice in that all my jobs more or less were, I, you know, I just applied for a vacancy that I saw online, except for I was <laughs> headhunted to get one, to get one job. Uh, so I was approached by a recruiter and headhunted that way so um but that's that's about a obviously a linkedin visibility that's how right. how that job came about but yeah i think i think there definitely is a sense of i mean thing is i guess london is its own little world and if you're if you're based in yeah. london there's definite advantages um to being based in london um but you know i live in the southwest sort of near bristol and bristol's a you know is a really up and coming sort of thriving mm-hmm. uh, kind of city um so yeah it's, an, it's a good question i i don't i couldn't speak from personal experience but i guess there's a sense that you know you can get from where i live you can get up to birmingham in two hours mm-hmm. uh something like that or you know you can well you can fly to i, I can fly bristol to scott to edinburgh in one hour you know oh, okay i gotta wow. get to the airport right? <laughs> yeah, yeah so, that's not a um, long flight <laughs> i mean that's it's Europe. <laughs> the, yeah the yeah. irony is that um you know i can be in scotland uh, quicker than some places probably in the than in the in the Midlands or in the north of England, especially if you're trying to get to somewhere, say like um, where I'm in the southwest, you're trying to get somewhere like Nottingham or some places that are more not quite the northeast, but a little bit south of there. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's quite hard to go. It's quite a lot harder to go east to west. Um, but yeah, because I live near Bristol Airport and that that flies to a lot of places. You know, you can be in Dublin. I gave a careers talk in Dublin. It's very easy just to hop on the plane across to dublin so i guess that's 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 not that's not such a barrier but um yeah compared with you compared with the geographical size of, of the u.s and the, sh- and the sheer number of people i guess as well yeah i mean I, yeah i mean i guess it's you know I, I went to my university was in a very like, my postdoc university was in a very small town three hours from the next major city and like i struggled to figure out like i connected with people online but like and translated some of those into real life relationships for sure but like it was isolating to say the least. And like, I feel like that's at least one aspect of something that academics might struggle with is just if you're in that small university town, like breaking out in the United States just can seem even more daunting, I guess. Um, yeah, so like that's part of the reason. And like in Chicago, like where I live now is like one of the biggest cities in the country and like people everywhere and people come through Chicago, like. And like it's easy for me to get to an airport now, like mm. you know, and that's actually been a big difference um, for me. So okay, anyway, thank you for answering that. One thing I was going to point out and say that, like you know, to our listeners, to give them hope is that people often tout networking as the only way to be able to get a job, but Chris right. is proof that <laughs> right that that's not always <laughs> that's the case. Always the case that you can apply for a job, see a job posted, apply for it, and get it. Right, and to have some sort of like. I mean, I won't call it necessarily like passive, but like have some sort of passive presence on the internet yes. because you might get recruited at some point. Yeah, uh, I think that's definitely key. Have a have a passive presence on the internet. That's definitely the case. But I think where where I've mm-hmm. when I applied for jobs, I was also quite quite laser like in my focus that 
of getting those jobs uh, when I apply for jobs online. So it's something I always say to like say the people I coach. Um, like I find that that people are especially from from academia, people can be quite cluttered in their thinking and in their self description. Mm-hmm. Um, and people say, yeah, I'm a you know I'm a researcher, I'm an educator, and I've got an interest in this and a sideline in that. And if I'm a if I'm a recruiter or if I'm a more more pro- more properly, I'm a human resources assistant whose job it is to look at a job description and hold your CV up against that and says, mm-hmm. does that match? If you're calling yourself a re- researcher, educator, slash something else, they're just gonna they're just gonna chuck it away and it's 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 matching exactly what the job description says down to down to what you call yourself, how how you present your skills and experience, and I think that's something that I really learned and sort of found a kind of capability to do that's helped me when applying for jobs maybe without such a network and also the other the other challenge is how do you transition between industries because something yeah. we haven't mentioned is I obviously went into e-learning first and I was there for mm-hmm. for two years um until one day my boss came in and said oh uh well good morning Chris uh, good morning uh Chris I said oh uh, good morning Nigel and he said actually it's not a good morning because uh, the venture capitalists who are funding us have pulled the funding and um, we're closing today now. Oh, uh, my gosh. So Jeez. literally I had to just pack up my desk and go. And uh, that's after, you know, after that was my about two years after leaving academia. So mm-hmm. that was quite a blow in a sense of like, well, what am I going to do now? Because basically the e-learning sector and the tech sec- sector was just collapsing, literally. Uh, so that's when I had to kind of like think, OK, so how do I sort of repurpose myself? for mm-hmm. another sector mm-hmm. um and that's when i focused on looking at um mm-hmm. uh well, through my dad actually he knew, he knew somebody who so there's maybe a bit of networking there but he knew somebody who had a software company based down in in the west country where i live now and so uh said why don't you give those guys a call because they they build um real-time information signs that you know you know by a bus stop you know it tells you mm-hmm. oh the bus is coming in three minutes the bus is coming in one mm-hmm. minute they build those signs and um you know, they might need somebody who can like, uh, you know, relating to that. Can you like write manuals, technical manuals? Can you train people? Mm-hmm. And that's actually how I got that job is actually by again, coming back to the sort of professional mm-hmm. educator, uh, professional writers type of thing. So I had to quickly mm-hmm. transition out into a whole nother sector. And then when I went into banking as well, um, mm-hmm. that was another time when I was, was made redundant and had to sort of repurpose myself for that. So the, the skill of repurposing yourself as you exit academia is to me a skill that you you will use again and again in your life, I think, and it's um, you know just a really useful thing to be to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back just quickly to the focus idea, like I think that's sort of a meta theme of the podcast, like this, especially this season where we talk about bringing more of what you want in your own life, like mm-hmm. and really focusing on that, like you know, design your life and your career, like here's what I want more of, and figure out a way to get more of that into your life so be focused in your job search and yeah and also that's marketing yeah. yourself towards in that way in that right. way yeah mm-hmm. and I, yeah and then going yeah and in terms of being malleable like i mean i think that is the transferable skills like just you develop in academia because like your project can change because you got a new result or found that one document in the archive that was like oh my god this changes my ideas about the thesis and now I have a whole new direction to go and to explore. Um, mm-hmm. So I think PhDs are actually fairly well suited to like transition of at least ideas, but then like that can also be applied to career or 
um, changing jobs or changing fields in some ways. And like a lot of PhDs just may not realize that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. It's a skill about about how do yeah. you, about presenting presenting yourself. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, when you're when you're within academia, you are actually highly skilled at presenting yourself as an academic. It comes back to this thing of not mm-hmm. thinking it as who as who you are, but thinking of it as a skill set. Mm-hmm. You're highly skilled at presenting yourself as an academic in a in a room with students, or in a conference paper, or in a in an article that you've written. And so it's but it, but people don't always realize that they've got that skill. You you know, and so it's. But then it's taking that skill. So how do I present myself as a professional X, not not as an academic, but as a professional mm-hmm. educator, or as a mm-hmm. as a professional scientist, as a professional communicator, as a professional ecologist, or whatever mm-hmm. that X is. So, but it's it's just reflecting on on some of this stuff that's not evident to you because no one taught you it. You just kind of you right. kind of learned it. And I guess that that X can change. I mean, you you can apply for if you're in transition mode and you're not really sure in the ideal world i will say that okay i want to do this and i will apply for the, just this type of job but i'm i'm talking about my experience when i was transitioning i was kind of like you i need to find a job so here's the things that i would like to do so they were they were like x y and z and they are like different uh, types of jobs and different mm-hmm. I had different resumes and different things so that in that case if someone that is out listening right now then you will present yourself as a professional X for this one and Y for this one and Z for that one that's more or less that's exactly it yeah that's that's exactly it and uh, the, the funny thing is then when I say that to people then they say ah yeah but I'm applying for academic jobs and non-academic jobs so how can I be two things like on link, long, like on LinkedIn or something? But it's so there is a little bit there is a little bit of a challenge there. But I think maybe LinkedIn is more used for business and something like mm-hmm. um, academia.edu is used more more within academia. So you can sort of have that um, show those right. different faces. I think and, um, on, on online. Right, and some of it's going to be time limited too. Right, with like you know, like at one time you're more of this, and another time in your life. Yeah, I'm different now. Like I'm applying my skills differently, um, and growing them in a different direction. So yeah, I mean, if you look at look at yeah. the um, if you look at the different things I've because when I give careers talks, I like to talk through my career history mm-hmm. and look at all the things I've been called like a, a e-learning consultant, uh, um, training and documentation manager, information mm-hmm. manager, uh, transport project manager, business unit manager. Uh, cons- uh, wow. consultant wow. Pro- project manager you know and if you look because I've had a number of different I've had mm-hmm. a number of different five or six different jobs you know so if you look down that list so um but am I really any of those things or is it you know and I'm a project manager mm-hmm. now but if project management changed and people called called it something like oh we we need um we need an organizational transformation professional to come in mm-hmm. to our organization well okay that's what i would that's what i would call myself i always think you know i'm applying my skill set to the to the to the to the to the vacancy that exists in that organization what's the shape of the whole what do they call what do they call the whole um what challenges and problems have they got in that organization that i can come in and say you know that problem i can sort i can sort that out for you so you've got to you've got to be very market focused, and I think that's one of the key things. Is sometimes people spend a lot of time reflecting on who who am I really, or what have I what have I done? And I think that's important. But it, but the point is, if the market's not hiring one of those, you, you, you're not you're not going to get a job. And so you've got to 
you've got to repurpose yourself to what the market wants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah, because yeah, and you'll cast about for a bit for sure. So I guess we can wrap up a little bit um, and just ask, you know, like, I mean, are you happier now that you're, you know, been out of academia, like in your life? Had you know, um, yeah. They don't get the sense that you were like necessarily miserable in academia at all, but um, you know, like, are it you happy? It seems that his transition yeah. was really smooth, right? I think yeah. so. I think compared with some people, I think I was I was quite lucky uh, when I when I look back in that, yeah, I applied for one or two jobs and and got one. So um, you know, but so it could have been luck. Could have been without you know I, I did feel like I did a lot of work to identify what that em- exactly what that employer wanted and mm-hmm. presented myself in exactly that way uh, so there, there is a little bit of that but yeah I mean I'm really I'm really happy now especially now the bank that I work in um, is, a, is a sustainable bank so mm-hmm. we have a ethical policy towards lending that we only lend money to organizations that um, do positive good in the world so nice. like organic agri- agriculture uh, renewable energy care homes mm-hmm. arts and culture these kind of things so we only lend to to positive projects and that really fits in with my own sense of um you know mm-hmm. using my time to make an impact and make a difference in the world mm-hmm. um you know and i'm behind the scenes support supporting a lot of that work or uh, supporting mm-hmm. the organization so yeah i really feel that um mm-hmm. that sort of chime chimes in with my personal personal values and i think there is something like you said in your it's a little bit like you're sailing a ship maybe and you're always sort of tacking left and right trying to hopefully get towards something that's more aligned mm-hmm. with what you would what you would really like um mm-hmm. and i feel really lucky to have to have found that in some ways quite by chance because six years ago i was i was made redundant again um you know and i was you know i had a I had my own had my own team of 12 engineers who worked for me um and probably in the course of a year we were we were progressively my team was made redundant and I was eventually made redundant so sort of something something that I'd built up in, in a career was actually all sort of lost and it was so the challenge for me was okay so how do I sort of start again um but but how I look at it it actually helped I could look around and say what do I really want what do I what do I want to do now at this point in my life and I could kind of um I was able to sort of find find what I'm doing now and actually um get closer to a sense of sort of passion and and purpose and is there something that uh, you will tell your younger self or something that you should, you want to tell our listeners, like a message of hope maybe, and how to contact you if they want to? Yeah, we're going to get in touch with yeah, you. Think, yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah, well, I think just, I mean, so just saying about your younger self, I mean, I think I'd say to my younger self, you didn't do too bad a job. <laughs> but, uh, but uh you know, it was right what I did. I, tr- I trusted my intuition. I trusted that this didn't feel quite right and it felt like I needed to make a jump, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe against some of a perspective of peer pressure, you know, not peer pressure, but what would other people think of me? But mm-hmm. I also sort of think, well, I don't, I don't actually really care what other people think of me because I just, I want to do this thing. And I trusted my own intuition and I trusted my own sense of, Okay, I can jump out the plane, but I, my parachute's going to land me. So, um, I think I think there is that tr- sort of self trust and and getting help as well. Um, but yeah, if people want to get in touch, obviously there's the blog um, jobsontoast.com, uh, and there's a contact form there where you can uh, drop me a note, or obviously on Twitter, uh, it's just at Chris Humphrey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that was really nice. Thanks for joining us, Chris. And good luck. Thank you.
<laughs> okay. Yes. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks very yeah. much. Thanks. Yep. Okay. Bye bye, everybody. See you. See you on the next episode, everyone. This week's Recovering Academic is sponsored by Scientific Dispatches Consulting, an editorial service for scientists. They specialize in helping you tell your research story clearly and concisely. Scientific Dispatches offers consulting, editing, writing, and presentation preparation services. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation at scientificdispatches.com. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find out about us. You can tweet the show at recoveringacad. You can also find all of the hosts on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash recovering academic podcast. You can find all of our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower. <laughs>